morning. It's good to be with you this morning. I'm Jay Uten. Uh, I'm not Dennis, uh, as you can tell, a little shorter, and I can't throw a football as far as he can. Um, Dennis just got back from a mission trip, I think, yesterday, but uh, I'm glad to be here with you this morning uh, as we look at God's Word. I'm also excited to be here because I get to wear this cool little mic. If you don't know, this is known as the Brittany mic. Uh, it's funny, I haven't worn one since I sang backup for Brittany. Uh, <laughs> Brittany Spears, that is. Not really, Justin Bieber. <laughs> Psalm 12 is where we're going to look at this. What is the passage we're going to look at this morning? Some of you may not know this. I'm a chaplain in the Army at Fort Eustis. Um, been there about a year and a half at Fort Eustis. Been uh, coming up on my 10th year as an, an Army chaplain. Before that, served as a as an assistant minister uh, in a PCA church. Um, not that long ago, I was uh, doing a land navigation exercise. Sometimes chaplains even get to do cool Army things. And uh, land navigation in the Army, basically you have a map with grid coordinates on it, and you have a compass. And you have certain points. You have a starting point, and you have certain points you have to go to, certain grid coordinates. And you navigate your way through it. And the difficulties are that uh, this particular land navigation course was I had to go about 16 clicks, or kilometers, as, uh, clicks is just what we say in the Army, for a kilometer, which is about 10 miles, through some pretty dense forest, um, some swamps, um, some, uh, a few ponds thrown in there. So it was, it was uh, going to take a while, to, and you had 45 pounds on your back. And uh, so we started early that morning, and uh, it was about six of us that started, and we started staggered. We didn't go at the same time because you didn't want to follow the guy, you know, you, you cheat off the guy who was really good at it. And uh, so, uh, you know, he staggered the start. And uh, after a couple of hours and had gone through a couple of checkpoints, I stopped seeing people. And uh, after about six hours, I wasn't seeing anyone. And uh, if you're walking through the woods for about six hours and not seeing anyone, you start asking yourself, am I the only one left? Is there anyone actually on this army base? And that's the context, or that's the tone of the psalm as we come to Psalm 12, is David is asking that question. It's, it's a lament. Uh, he's basically saying, where have the godly gone? Where have the faithful gone? Where is everyone? It seems as if they've vanished. And so as we have that, that the feel of Psalm 12 in mind, let's uh, read this psalm. I'll begin there in verse 1. It says, to, well, to, to the choir master, according to the Sheminith, a psalm of David. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boast. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. 
On every side the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Let's go to God in prayer. Our gracious Father in heaven, we come acknowledging our need for you. Our need for you to speak to us through your word. We pray that the words here would be impressed upon our hearts. That you might change us, your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said earlier, I uh, served, before I went to the Army, I served as a pastor, and I uh, was there, uh, was in uh, Mississippi for about six years. And uh, Mississippi is often the, the uh, whipping boy for all the other states. And, uh, but Mississippi is a great place. There's a lot of great people there. And a lot of unique personalities and unique characters. And one such person from Mississippi, a character who... Uh, was a Mississippian, uh, was a man named Noah Sweat. His nickname was Soggy. Noah Soggy Sweat. He was a, he was a, a legislator in the Mississippi and a judge. And uh, Noah Sweat, if anyone knows him, Soggy Sweat, with a name like Soggy, you've got to be interesting, um, gave a famous speech in 1952 on the floor of the Mississippi legislature called the Whiskey Speech. And uh, the Whiskey Speech was, is uh, not that long of a speech, and I'm going to read the, the, the speech in, in, in its entirety. And, and before I read it, this whiskey speech, I'm not, uh, in reading this, I'm not making a for or against uh, for alcohol. So anyway, here, here's how it goes. This is uh, Noah Sweat on the floor of the Mississippi Legislature, 1952. My friends, I had not intended to discuss this controversial subject at this particular time. However, I want you to know that I do not shun controversy. On the contrary, I will take a stand on any issue at any time, regardless of how fraught with controversy it might be. You have asked me how I feel about whiskey. All right, here is how I feel about whiskey. If when you say whiskey, you mean the devil's brew, the poison scourge, the bloody monster that defiles innocence, dethrones reason, destroys the home, creates misery and poverty, yea, literally takes the bread from the mouths of little children. If you mean the evil drink that topples the Christian man and woman from the pinnacle of righteous, gracious living into the bottomless pit of degradation and despair and shame and helplessness and hopelessness, and certainly I am against it. But if you, when you say whiskey, you mean the oil of conversation, the philosophic wine, the ale that is consumed when good fellows get together, that puts a song in their hearts and laughter on their lips, and the warm glow of contentment in their eyes. If you mean Christmas cheer, if you mean the stimulating drink that puts the spring in the old gentleman's step on a frosty, crispy morning, if you mean the drink which enables a man to magnify his joy and his happiness and to forget, if only for a little while, life's great tragedies and heartaches and sorrows. If you mean that drink, the sale of which pours into our treasuries untold millions of dollars which are used, <laughs> which are used to provide tender care for our little crippled children, our blind, our deaf, our dumb, our pitiful aged and infirm to build highways and hospitals and schools, then certainly I am for it. This is my stand. I will not retreat from it. I will not compromise. <laughs> it's nice, nice to know that speaking with a forked tongue is not a new thing. <laughs> Among politicians, that is. But in coming to the passage, uh, I know it's a humorous example, but it is a serious thing and a serious question that, that we as God's people have to face and need to ask ourselves is how do we as God's people 
handle living in a world of spin. And by spin, I mean that act of taking words and twisting them and spinning them for uh, selfish gain. Because it's all around us. And the passage this morning, I just want to look at, basically it's laid out in this way, that three things, the reality of spin, the effects of spin, and the remedy for spin. Um, Look at the passage there in verse 1. David has already said immediately right there in verse 1, Save, O Lord, or help, O Lord. Um, What is his burden? His burden is this. As he looks around, it seems that the faithful, or as Ralph Davis, the commentator, says, covenant man has vanished. The word there used for covenant man is hasid, which is an adjectival form of hesed, which is God's covenant love. Where has the covenant man gone? As David looks around, he's burdened with the fact that it seems that, that everyone utters lies or has flattering lips or speak with a doubled heart or make great boasts or say arrogant, pompous things. It's so pervasive to David that it seems that it's completely taken over. And we don't know exactly if he's speaking just about Israel or the surrounding nations. But the reality is that he is living in a world of spin. But the reality is true for us, for our world, our culture. Now, I'm going to just note the obvious here, but because I want us to feel the weight of living in a world in which it seems everyone utters lies. Just start off with uh, public figures. Now, it's, it's going to be easy for me to take pot shots at politicians, and I'm not doing it in a partisan way. And I won't even give many examples, but Woodrow Wilson, when he was running uh, for re-election, in, uh, uh, and it was, right, uh, it was during the midst of World War I, and America had not entered the war yet, his campaign slogan, or one of them was, I will keep you out of the war. But behind closed doors, he was saying, there's no way I can keep, him, keep us out of the war. We know of Richard Nixon. He was president who resigned because of his deception. But I'll leave the politicians and, uh, and move on to educators. 2007, an MIT professor who had taught at MIT for 28 years uh, was found to have had no degrees. She had lied on a resume. She had taught there at MIT for 28 years. Move over to the world of uh, athletics, coaching, uh, in 2001, George O'Leary uh, became the head coach of Notre Dame. Uh, not long after he was coach, it was found out that uh, he had fabricated his resume and, and put that he had gone to NYU Stony Brook, which is actually not a university. There's NYU and there's Stony Brook. And he said he had received a master's degree. He had not received a master's degree. He had actually gone to New Hampshire, which he said there as well as undergrad, but he said he had lettered for three years in football and he had never played it down in football. Well, we can think of other sports examples. Lance Armstrong, seven Tour de France winners as, as the Tour de France kicks off. Um, seven Tour de France has he won, and, and the whole time saying, I did not take drugs. It was accused, accused. He actually, uh, several people, he uh, basically destroyed their lives uh, because they confronted him about it. And this, just this year, he says, yes, I did lie. I took uh, performance-enhancing drugs. Move over into the business world, to advertising. 2009, Rice Krispies 
put an ad campaign, even on their boxes, that implied that eating Rice Krispies would help fight against the swine flu. You remember in 2001, H1N1 was a big deal. And uh, if your kids ate this, they would not get the swine flu. Uh, but a year before that, Frosted Mini Wheats had uh, put that if your kids eat them, they'd imply that they would be 20% more focused. Focused on the sugar, but not focused. Uh, and I mean no malign against Frosted Mini Wheats, and my kids will know that. Uh, but here's the kicker, Nutella. Good old Nutella. Uh, was sued recently, or not that long ago, um, for putting on its, as its ad campaign, part of a nutritious breakfast. Nutella is great, but I don't know how nutritious for breakfast it is. Even in the Army, young soldiers will, uh, after they come in the Army, they will regularly say, my recruiter said I would get to do this. And then we will ask, do you know when your recruiter's lying to you? When his lips are moving. And I know very fine, some fine recruiters who do not lie, but that's, that's a truism in the Army. But not just uh, in the workplace. What about the church? The General Assembly a couple weeks ago and found out uh, a pretty large church in the PCA, uh, the pastor just resigned due to plagiarism. He had been plagiarizing his sermons. It's nothing new that, that ministers will often use material from other people's sermons, but often, I mean, it's, it's ethical as long as you acknowledge this is from someone else, uh, but he wasn't doing that. But movement even on a personal level. Who in here is innocent of embellishment? or gossip, or flattery, or lying. We live in a world of spin. Whether it's a politician, or your six-year-old, with his hand in the cookie jar, you see what happened was, that's the world we live in. It's all around us, but it's also in us. It's among us. I know it's obvious, but Sometimes we need to feel the weight of the world we live in and the deceptive words, the world that David lived in, the world that we live in. It's pervasive. Let's look at more of the passage here. Let's just look at the effects of spin. Verse 5 starts out, the Lord speaking, because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan. It seems to David that there is an effect to lying. You know, the ninth commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness, has a legal tone to it. Uh, would first be reference to someone on a legal stand, you should not bear false witness. And the reason being is that you will have a negative effect on the person to whom you're bearing false witness. I mean, really, what? Some people, why, what's so harmful about a little lie? Just words. In fact, Mark Twain twisted scripture and he said, this is one of Mark Twain's quotes about lying. He says, an abomination to the Lord and an ever-present help in times of trouble. But that's the attitude of many. What's a, little, what's a little lie between us? But I think if we look at what lies do, if we analyze deception, lies, we first of all know that lies violate. Violate. They violate people who are made in the image of God. They twist what they perceive as reality. Reduces the other person uh, to a pawn in your selfish ends. 
whether it's a direct lie or even gossip or flattery. Gossip, you know, is, is uh, saying something behind somebody's back that you would not say to their face. Flattery is saying something uh, in front of someone that you would not say behind their back. But how many of us are guilty of that? Lies violate. But they also isolate. They isolate the liar. Relationships between individuals, whether it's a business relationship, whether it's a working relationship, or a family relationship, they're built on trust. And when you lie, you, you, the trust is gone. You show me a, a pathological liar whose life is, is characterized completely by lying. I will show you a person who is isolated. In his marriage, if he's still married, with his children, if his children are still speaking to him, at his job, if he still has one. The effects of spin are destructive. because They violate other people. They isolate us, but they also misrepresent. As I said earlier, the ninth commandment is Thou shalt not bear false witness. God's law is based on his character. It's an outline, really, of his character. And the world in which he is made is a world in which we have a relationship with him and with other people. And to bear false witness is to misrepresent reality, to misrepresent who he is in the world he's created. It's really a manifestation of how far inward we've turned away from God and in ourselves. This is God's world. And when God's word is rejected, man's words end up turning in on him, becoming self-focused, self-protective, misrepresenting God, misrepresenting his world, lying to one another. And some of you know the effects of lying. Some of you have been hurt deeply by lies in relationships with other people. Some of you are guilty of some serious lies. How often do you shade the truth? It's offensive to God and it's destructive to others. And to us. The reality of lies, the effects of lies, but there's a remedy. What is that remedy? Is there a spin doctor in the house? And we know there is. Because the passage, David says in verse 5, he says, the Lord speaking, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he belongs. The first thing we see there is that God is not a God who is removed from this world. He is not passive. He is active. A world that has fallen, a world that is filled with lies, but he is not passive. In fact, we see in verse 6 the nature of his words versus our words. The words of Yahweh, the words of the Lord, are pure words. Like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. It's a great relief to know that all the words we hear out there, whether we can trust them or not, whether they're being spun uh, for effect that we can go to a God whose words we can absolutely trust. Solid words. In David's time, he, the backdrop would have been the gods of the nations. 
The gods of the other nations were fickle gods. They were two-faced. You could not trust what they would say, depending on what mood they were in. But David is saying, your word, your, your words, O Lord, are pure, are true. We can rely on God's words. God does not lie to us nor flatter us. But his words, though, his pure words expose us. In the, uh, the novel, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, Quasimoto is the, the kind of the deformed guy. Uh, at one point, he carries the beautiful Elsmerada, Elsmerelda, uh, the beautiful maiden, high into the bell tower. And uh, they are talking to each other as he takes her into the bell tower. And he begins to weep. And she asks him, what's wrong? He says to her, I never knew how ugly I was until I saw how beautiful you are. And really, we don't understand the impurity of our words until we have considered the purity of God's words, the surety of them. When our words are exposed to the purity of God's words, it should break us. It should humble us. And on one hand, the purity of God's word is it's great to know. But that's not where the good news lies. The good news, the gospel is that this pure, holy God took on flesh. John says, even the word became flesh. To, to die for liars. To die for those who deceive who make great boasts, who flatter, who gossip, who spin the truth. And this gospel is for us. If you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, I will say this. This is not a room full of people who have been, been reconciled to God, who've been made right with God because we uh, have been uh, on the straight and narrow and are more honest than everybody else. You need to know that. Or because we rarely lie. No, this is a room full of liars. And by God's grace have realized that very truth. And have turned to the only hope, the Lord Jesus. Who is the only one that can rescue us from the penalty of our lies. And the power of a lying tongue. I'm going to conclude with this. Look in verses 7 and 8. And, uh, and in concluding with two more verses, I'm breaking a rule of my homiletics professor. Um, ben, don't, uh, don't tell Dr. Chapel. Ben and I went to the same seminary. Um, you never end with uh, new information and conclusion, but uh, I'm going to do that. Um, so, uh, it, but the, the psalm here, the psalmist ends on a somber note. He says, on every side the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. The NIV says, as, as basically the wicked strut. But it, it doesn't completely end on a somber note because just before that in verse 7, what does it say? It says, Yahweh, the Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. Reminiscent of John 17, 10, when Jesus prayed, Holy Father, keep them in your name. So what does that mean, that Jesus is keeping us? How will he guard us? Well, I think practically speaking, 
the means that he uses is his word to keep us. It's, it's like this. This past week I was in the gym and um, somebody had plugged their iPod up and it was playing some really loud, blaring music, um, some kind of type of death metal. And um, we were in the locker room and another guy said, I, I got to put my earphones on. I can't take this. And he says, I have to have some peace and calm. And he says, my, my earphones will drown it out. Well, how, how do we drown out the lies? Is we have God's word more pervasive in our ears, in our hearts, than the lies of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are a God whose word is true, who words are pure, purified seven times, complete, perfect. And we do pray that you would make us a people who, whose lives are characterized by love and love for each other through the words that we speak, words of truth, words of love, as we speak to one another and as we communicate to a lost and dying world that your words are pure, that your words are true. There's no spin. We thank you and we praise you. Continue to be with us as we come to the table. In your name, amen.